Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. The Lord is good. All right, let's open our Bibles quickly to the book of Colossians chapter 1. From there, we will declare the glory of the Lord this morning. It's a beautiful morning, isn't it? You don't know? If you believe, you say amen now. Amen. All right, if you know you are going to be blessed this morning, give another amen. Amen. All right, Colossians chapter 1, we are going to read from verse 12. We are reading all the way down to verse 20. Are you there? Now let us read together. One, two, let's go. Thanks to the Father. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were made, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him I say, what are things on earth? All things in heaven. Hallelujah. Amen. I said hallelujah. Amen. Now these are the facts about the Lord Jesus Christ. I say it again. Christianity is not about good behavior. Even though it produces good behavior. But that's not where it begins from. So don't come and tell me the man of God is giving food to the poor. That's not what makes him a man of God. I hope you're getting my point. Christianity is not about you know, social works. It's not even about visiting the sick. Christianity produces these things, but that's not what Christianity is. Christianity is simply that you have come to God the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ. That's it. It means you recognize that indeed God sent his Son, and he came, he was born of the Virgin Mary. He lived on earth, he went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. And then at a particular point in time, he went to the cross as the Lamb of God that John said takes away the sins of the whole world. And then he was sacrificed as that Lamb of God. And then on the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven. And then one day he's going to return because he's a God-appointed judge of the living and the dead. He's going to recompense every person according to their works. He's going to return one day. Is a king that is coming again. Now, this is Christianity. No matter how good a work or the works you are doing, if these things are not fundamental in your heart, you're not a Christian. You're telling You are not a Christian. You are not a believer. You may, somebody may think you're a nice guy. And I keep on telling young women, woman wants to marry you and is a nice guy. Don't be deceived, though. Did you hear what I said? A man who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. We have talked about the woman, but I just wanted to apply that one. Good, he's not a, he's a very nice guy. He's very, he's which spirit can you receive? Because nice guys who have not believed in Christ Jesus, 
can receive is, look, the day the demon will wake up and possess the creature. It was not like this before. Uh, was, was using boat running the day he was born. He just, what is that just now? He has gone down the road. No, now what he gave it to is what he will become. That's the issue. So don't tell me it was not. His boat was not running when he was born. What am I going to say? It is not where, look, it's what the person can become. That's what we are saying. It's what you will become. That's our issue. That's what Christianity is about. It is not about, you know, who's nice, who's not nice. People like to go and misquote me. That Pastor Banky said that uh, men don't have to be nice. Please, so, I'm a nice guy. Oh. My wife is looking like, are you sure about that? <laughs> okay, now she believes I'm a nice guy, all right? But no, we are nice people, amen? Please, if there's a man around you, say, be nice. Preach it now. Turn to somebody for me. Say, be nice. Be nice. Be nice. Be nice to your wife. Be nice to your children. Be nice to everybody. Uh huh. I'm just saying that that is not the fundamental point. The foundational point is believing these things I have said. And once you believe them, then Jesus breathes upon you. He says, Receive Holy Spirit, a new life. He was made a life-giving spirit. He breathes that upon you. Receive Holy Spirit. There's a new breath I'm giving. Receive it. Then from that, you grow into the full image of the fullness of the stature of Christ. That is what Christianity is about. The Lord is good. And that's why we have gathered again this morning. To drink of that spirit from heaven. Amen? Amen. And because we ask the Lord before, and we constantly open our hearts to him. We believe that he is granting, or he has granted, and is granting us insight. Say amen to that. Amen. We believe he has granted, and is granting us understanding. Amen. He's giving us wisdom. Amen. He's empowering us constantly. Amen. There's a flow of his spirit into our lives. Amen. Therefore, we declare as follows. And the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work, and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. Word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It's healing me in every area, and it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Let's take our seats. The Lord is good. Let's open our Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. All right, so we start today talking about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The grace of the Lord Jesus. I'm in 1 Corinthians 15. I'm just looking for where to start from because suddenly I feel like reading everything. From verse 1. Now I'm going to be switching between New American Standard and New Living Translation, just to make some points clear. So I'll start with New Living Translation. He said, Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news that is the gospel I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. He said, It is this gospel that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Please notice that. You are saved if you continue to believe. You are saved if you continue to believe or if you hold fast, all right, the word. 
unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. He said, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. And what is that? Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He said he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said, that is, the scriptures said it will happen. He was seen by Peter and then the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom, when Paul was writing, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. I like the way Paul really uses those words. I wish these translations would stop changing that thing. The word died was there, originally in Greek, but he chose to use some words for certain reasons, sleep. So I read that from the New American Standard, which is properly what Paul said. New Living Translation just trying to make it clear. But sometimes in trying to make these things clear, you remove the thing that Paul was trying to make clear. <laughs> Do you get my point? Paul was trying to emphasize that if a Christian, a believer in Christ, physically appears to have died, in reality, he has only slept. Okay, so please, I think it is not right for some of these translations, when they are trying to make it simple for us, to now confuse us as to what the Holy Spirit was trying to say through the writer here, Apostle Paul. So what he said in verse 6, After that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at, at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. That's what Paul said. Then verse 7, he said, Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I, was, I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him, for I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I am not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted the church. But whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me. I like to read that in New American Standard. It says, for by the grace of God, I am what I am. I've emphasized to us that that grace... It is not very good to use the word favor to describe it because people end up misunderstanding what he's emphasizing. Grace is a power of God manifested towards those, okay, let's add the word favor now, towards those he's showing favor to. But the emphasis is uh, two things. One, okay, let's just make them three. The emphasis, number one, is God. Number two, it's power. Number three, he freely bestows it. That's what grace is. If those things, three things are not inside when you are talking about grace, you have misunderstood grace. I hope you are getting my point. Grace is the power of God. And actually the literal Greek shows it to be. The word I think is um, charis, from which you get charisma. I hope you are getting my point. All right. So it's power. It's not a favor per se like you see. Uh, of course, you, 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 you freely bestows it. But the fact is that it is power that is working. So that's why Paul said it like this. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove him. Look at the result. But I labored more than them all. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. So his grace is that ability that God puts in you. All right? And I say, well, that, so it makes no difference whether I preach or they preach. For we all preach the same message. You have already believed. Now, where I'm going is still further down. Now, I now talked about the issue of resurrection. 
But tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? Now listen to this, it's very important. Resurrection of the dead is one of the key, one of the core doctrines of Christianity. Two resurrections you must bear in mind. Number one, that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. Bear that in mind. It's core. Then number two, that you also, all right, one of two things will happen to you. If you are still alive in the flesh when Jesus returns, you will be changed and you have a new body. And if you are not, no problem. If you will have fallen asleep, you will be raised up again with that new body also. It's called the resurrection body. That is core to Christianity. So he said, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless. And you are still guilty of your sins. Please note that. Note that. It's very important. Resurrection is a sign of forgiveness. It's a sign that God has forgiven us our sins. The fact that Jesus rose again from the dead. If he did not rise again from the dead, even though a sacrifice was made, it means it was not accepted. It means it was not sufficient. The resurrection is a sign that the sacrifice was effective and it was sufficient. I hope you're getting my point. That's what Paul was explaining to us here. He said, in that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Again, these are, these are important issues. Because sometimes, and if you're a preacher, you know, anytime I'm preaching, I like to talk to preachers. All right? And bring some correction. There's, this, there's something that has fallen into Christian, Christian preaching in recent years. Shortly it came in, we started by trying to correct some extremes. Then in that process, we went to the other extreme. So let's remember, take hold of one, don't let go of the other. Why? You have to strike a balance. You have to strike a balance. Yes, indeed, as a child, when those were preaching the living gospel around us, when we saw them, one of the things they did was actually, where it appeared, maybe they did not, they glorified poverty. Not only glorifying poverty, they glorified the appearance of poverty. You know there's a difference. They glorified poverty and they glorified the appearance thereof. So that even if you were materially well-to-do, you had to appear like you were not. I remember people will actually take glory in the fact that their clothes are faded. When they could easily change them. Now, for information, there's no glory in it, in itself. All right? If your clothes are faded, you should try and change them. The garment of Aaron was made for glory and for beauty. It was not made to look faded. It was not allowed. His breastplate was studded with gemstones. I hope you're getting my point. When God, I think it's Ezekiel chapter 16, when God wanted to describe what he did to Israel, he said, I packed your hands full of gold, put bracelets on your hands. So there's nothing wrong with looking nice, okay? Uh-huh. Absolutely nothing wrong. It's just that that is not our emphasis in life. It's not our emphasis. So those days, people went, of course, they glorified poverty and the appearance thereof. So after a while, people like Archbishop Benson Dawsa came up trying to pull us out of that. They said, my God is not a poor God. Now, which is a totally correct statement. It's real truth. 
Everybody say after me, my God God is not a poor God. God. Say it fully. Next, say, our God is not a poor God. Our God is not a poor God. He doesn't glorify poverty. He doesn't celebrate it. What he just tells us is to endure it if it comes. And sometimes, there are people that are so consumed by some things, they don't even notice. It doesn't mean, let me give an example. Who would rather follow, John the Baptist or Jesus Christ? There's no catch to it. Jesus Christ, okay? Now, do you know Jesus and John didn't look alike? John dwells in the wilderness. He dressed funny. He didn't cut his hair. How do you know? Does he look like he cut his hair? I know he didn't see him, but just read his story. So he must have had all of these um, dreadlocks. No, it was a Rastafarian of some sort, if you know what I'm going to say. Okay? <laughs> but can I show you? Jesus looked nothing like that. Jesus was clothed so fine that by the time he was being crucified, soldiers were fighting over the clothes. They wanted to cut it because materials were expensive. Those, not this one, you just enter into a great market. You just, you just put small, a, a small portion of your salary down and they give you 10 yards. You know why? Machines make them now. Those days, they were hand-knitted. So to get a piece of cloth was expensive. When, when uh, years before, when Samson was arguing with people, it was clothes they were using for betting. Now, if you want to bet now, it's iPhone, Galaxy 23, laptop, thank you. <laughs> That's what we then. Cloth, if you look at it, I don't think your cloth, my friend. It's because God has prospered the earth so much. So in the time of Jesus... What they would have done is taken the clothes of the condemned prisoner and split around, uh, along the seams. Each person gets a piece. They took that of Jesus Christ. It was custom made. Yeah, it was. It was. So it, they took his measurement and the stuff was woven to fit him. And when they picked it up, they said, ah, guys, let's not spoil this. Let's not spoil it. If you go and cut it now, it starts wasting from that corner. So, okay, let's cast lots. Now, that's the kind of thing he wore. They were not trying to tap anointing. They were looking at the quality. Do you get my point? Yeah. They were looking at the quality. So, you know the story. I don't need to spend so much time on it. Jesus dressed well. And he ate well. All these locusts and wild honey. It's a John thing. It's a John the Baptist thing. And this is Jesus Christ. He never saw that the apostles did fasting and prayer. Because of what? They didn't understand that. If they did not eat, just because they have not reached where there is food. <laughs> Maybe they are traveling. And the food they took was not enough. But John is the one that would do it. When, when Peter and Co, you know Peter and Co were with John before. There are days John will say, everybody, no eating. Why? For the sins of Israel. Peter will be looking at us. We get to go fishing. <laughs> say, no fishing. They sit at home. That's it. But when they moved over to Jesus Christ, and this, happened, this John was all the time talking about the Lamb of God that will be coming. I'm not the bridegroom. I'm just supposed to introduce you guys to the bridegroom. That the Holy Spirit has told me that I will recognize him. So I know I was born to point him out. So every day he's baptizing. Oh God, for John. He never suspected he knew his cousin was a bit of an odd fellow. But that he would be the one, I don't think he crossed his mind. 
Ha-ha. And they saw him. You are the Lamb of God. <laughs> Why didn't you tell me all this while? Now, so he had been telling them. He didn't know who it was. And then the day Jesus came for baptism, he told them, Behold the Lamb of God. So Peter and Co. followed Jesus Christ. Where am I going? Life was different. First, they followed Jesus. They said, Master, where do you stay? He had a home. He was not living in the wilderness. They followed him home. Ah. And he said, come and see. They came and they saw. And they stayed the night. Like, ah, this is a better ministry. The Lord is good. Anyway, so, the point I'm just making is that Jesus was very different from John. Let me not um, overlabor that point. They lived differently. Nobody ever anointed John with perfume. If you tried it with John, <laughs> let's just leave that. John, he didn't used to go for weddings. In fact, everybody just made up their mind that it was not normal. Yeah. They just made up their mind that this guy is not okay. He looked funny. He dressed funny. Took no care of his physical self. Or just shouting and shouting in the wilderness. And then pick on the government. On things that were not governors. I know. You took somebody's wife. What do you concern Donald Trump? Concern? Do you follow my friend? say, whose wife? John did not take it easy. Finally, they beheaded him for it. Of course, that's not the real reason why they beheaded him. The real reason was that Jesus was waiting for him to go away. All right? So that's what happened. In case you don't know. So I'm not saying that, um, you see, the, the, uh, criticizing government is dangerous. Jesus could have insulted everybody. Nothing would have happened. Nothing. And until John had done his work, nobody could take him. He was taken when the time was ripe. Not because of the, the wrath of um, the herald. Not at all. It's because the time was ripe. All right? So let's bear that in mind. But Jesus, when he came, he looked different from John. Things were different with him. He went for weddings. He went for birthdays. There are receptions that invited him, and he went. And he sat down there, and he ate with them and drank good quality wine. When he didn't have, he produced it himself. So, you remember the wedding? Now, he was very different, okay? Now, again, let's not forget what we're trying to say, that we would rather follow Jesus, definitely. But if he commanded us to be like John, we'll be like that without complaining. Do you get my point? If you're going to read Hebrews chapter 11, people like John were celebrated. Even Jesus himself celebrated John. Of all men born of women, none was as great as John the Baptist. My own opinion is that the prophetic job he, you know, he brought, no, nobody came near that. Everybody prophesied about something that will happen, someone that will come. He came and said, this is the person to come. It was the height of prophecies. There was no prophet like that. None. There was no, every prophet was prophesying something that will happen. No, he pointed, this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the whole world. Now, what I'm trying to say with all of these things is that Jesus, our role model, did not live like some of us want to compel everybody to live. Do you follow my point? However, he did not lay his emphasis. For example, he will tell you things like, don't lay up your treasure on the earth. There are times he will step down and watch the the feet of his disciples. So balance, we said, is what? The key to life. Ed Cole said, we have to try and take hold of one and not let go of the other. Let me not lose my thoughts while enjoying the things that we're discussing. So that's the, the, the direction of my thoughts. So when some people are trying to 
carried us away from that John the Baptist attitude. All right? You know what I ended up happening without us realizing it? We now began to unconsciously initially, then became overt after a while, to equate outward appearance with success, with prosperity. That's what happened. So you start hearing things like, um, you can't be a Christian and have nothing to show for it. Show. Do you get the emphasis? Show. I can't be a Christian and have nothing to show you for it because you can't see. Because you can't see. Because you don't know how to value the things that matter. That's the issue. Because you cannot value the things that matter. So before we knew what was happening, we drew things to an extent that churches in Laodicea became the things we celebrated. Because the church would say, we have need of nothing. We bragged on, unconsciously. I got into, well, I never got that rich, but I didn't before my head got corrected. But I believed at the time that some of these prayers is because of poverty. That things you use money to control, you don't need to pray. I don't say that nonsense anymore. Lord, the times we said it, forgive us. I don't say that rubbish anymore. Is it because I studied my scriptures? No. Well, that's part of it. But God showed me in real life. I had experiences that let me know that material things are unreliable. That you can have all the money in the world. You can have the best doctors malaria will kill you. Now, normal people treat malaria with 600 naira. There are anti-malarias you buy now, 500 naira complete dose. I'm telling you, they are so, they are so common. Yet, you will have all the money. The doctor will say you have malaria. Before, in fact, the medicine they will give you is the one that will kill you. If you don't know, go and read what we call anaphylactic shock. Give you one small medicine. As you swallow like this, your blood pressure will crash to zero. Your lungs will stop working. You'll be panting for breath. <laughs> Next thing, black man will turn blue and die. It happens all the time. No, I'm not telling you, hey, hey, let me not go there now. If I get there now, you know, I get stuck. It happens all the time. A healthy man walks into a hospital, nothing wrong with him. Just say, ah, doc, I've not been feeling so good. Let me, ah, this is okay, you're okay now. Not to okay, just take this small tablet. That tablet kills him. Nothing wrong with the doctor. Nothing wrong with the tablet, too. Nothing wrong with him, so what's wrong? Him and the tablet. They are not supposed to meet. And they met. Ah, let's not sit on that. So I've had experiences like that in life that let me know that, whoa. You know, there's a story I tell. One of those Americans, very rich men, one of the richest, of course, maybe top 100 those days. Somebody told me a story. They had an only child. She was getting married. So he decided to, you know, you know what parents you do now when you have money and an only child is getting married. When will you show your wealth? If you don't show your dad, is he at your own barrier? So he brought in a brand new Rolls Royce. She used to carry the girl. They finished wedding in church. Come and enter the Rolls Royce. The car did not start. Meanwhile, all the Corollas around were starting. <laughs> yeah. The man just laughed. They just laughed. Either the girl now walked from the church to the reception. That's it. She walked. Which everybody can do. Rich or poor. Do you get my point? The rose was packed for one godly reason or another. It refused to start so that we would learn a lesson. I heard that the man didn't take offense. He just laughed it off. You know what God was saying? All flesh is grass. So no matter how rich you become, men ought always to pray 
and not to faint. When you are going out in the morning, pray. I hope you're getting my point. Pray. A bulletproof vehicle is not what is saving lives. You hear of one politician that says, look, I know one man, he went and bought a bulletproof vehicle. And then, <laughs> armed men pursued his vehicle. and wanted to kidnap him. This really happened. You know what happened? <laughs> his driver did not know how to handle the bulletproof vehicle. The driver ran. He kept on running. They ran into a hold-up and jumped down and ran on foot. <laughs> yeah. So the bulletproof vehicle, the door was open. <laughs> so the man opened the door and brought the man down. The driver had jumped, the, he had run across the express, ran into the bush, and left the door of the bulletproof vehicle open. All flesh is what? Grass. All flesh is grass. So that's why as believers, listen, we learn to pray. We will never get to a point where we say well, these things are not matters of prayer. Please pray. Look, you see a stack of 1,000 naira bills right beside you. You can spend it any time. That's why we give thanks for food. By reason of my natural profession, I start telling you stories of people that their food killed. Families wiped out because they ate food. People went for weddings and they came back dead. Well, they came back first, then they died. What killed them? Food. Nobody consciously poisoned them. Somebody just cooked with something that was bad. You can Google up if you don't know about botulism. And they died. So no matter how much money we have, if we see food, we give thanks. It's a sign. It's a way to pray all the time. You're sitting down, maybe after Bible, somebody gives you a biscuit that you could buy down the road for 30 naira. Before you pop it into your mouth, say what? Father, I thank you. You must say, Father, I thank you. You get to a place where it's a buffet. You know what they call buffet? Chop to you, drop. The same thing. Father, I thank you. That's the way it is. So, I was, please, I'm trying to say something here. So, it got to a point, we began to emphasize so much on natural things. My God is not a poor God. No one man, he said that in their church, he had to look rich all the time because his, his pastor preached, he was an assistant pastor. His senior pastor preached prosperity. So, he had to look rich all the time, wearing expensive clothes, you know, robes. With expensive materials. This car must not look, even if the engine is dead, it must shine outside. And his landlord used to look at this small boy that used to owe him. But if he was going to church on Sunday, he brings out the largest Agbada in town and wear it to church. Why? Because somebody lied to him that he needed to look rich. He needed to look as if he's prosperous. We lay so much emphasis on it that it now became bad. Or up to a point where you're not in ministry unless you, your church is fine. I need to do something. So my friend took me to a place and said, okay, this man will do it for you. Now this guy was looking, he was looking poor. You know, John the Baptist kind of thing. Looking really poor. All right? Looking, he didn't even have anybody working for him. He owned a small business. The way he even spoke with us, I just said, this guy is not planning to prosper. You know, just look at him. This guy has no plans for prosperity. I don't want to get into that. Now there's way you talk to your customers. I just know that you're not planning because even God will be angry with you. Say, God, say, even if I need something, I won't come to your shop. But that's not the point. After we left, my friend said, this used to be a member of my church. I said, what happened? He said, one day he said he's living there. He has not seen people break through. 
Did you hear what I said? He's been looking at her. He has not seen any. Now, he didn't go to church for long. Maybe he came there after one year. He didn't see people breaking through. So he left the church to go and look for one where people will do what? Will break through. And we saw him years later. He had broken down. He had broken down. There was no breakthrough that I saw in his life. So I'm emphasizing something here. So you see, we got to that point. And please, if you're a pastor again, let us get it clear. That is not the gospel of God. That is not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our most important hope is where? In heaven. It's not on earth. It's not on earth. On this earth, we can literally be... Now, listen to me. I'm not saying this is ideal. But on this earth, we can be literally poor and sick. And we really are not inferior to anybody. Why? Because indeed, one day... Let me tell you something. God could show you many things. All right? He could show us things. But you know one reason why he doesn't show us things? Hey, I will explain it. There are children. There's one boy I have in mind. The mother told them they are moving abroad. And my wife can't get him to read his book. They're not getting my point. So they are moving to North America. Read now. The boy can't read. There's, if you like, go and bring a king. Get a soldier to threaten him. The boy can't read. Do you know why? His mind is seeing North America. So everything you are doing in Enugu is what? It's a waste of time. It's a waste of, it's a waste of his time. You can't get him to read. Of course, you all know he's mistaken. You all know he's wrong. If he gets there, he's going to look like a fool in class. It would have been better if he got there and they, they are wow. Like, wow, where did this one come from? Before the teacher says two things, you've understood seven things. Why? And they say, why? Well, he said, come on. What do you mean? This is um, SS1 work back in Nigeria. What are you guys talking about here? And they treat you with a lot of respect. But no, his brain has shut down because the mother said we are going abroad. Do you follow my point? That's why God doesn't tell us where you are going many times. You get my point? If he shows you heaven, you won't go to work. If he shows you heaven, you just look at, oh, you go see. What's all of this? You come out, you see a rough road. You won't go. You don't get my point. He, he, he will not be able to persuade you to go. People talk about uh, uh, Stephen. Yes, Tony Stephen. I said, you think Stephen was feeling the pain? Just pray that, Lord, when they want to stone me, show me something. I'm telling that is, the stone will be pleasure. The pain of the stoning that should have been painful. It will be like somebody's putting spice on your food so you can eat and quickly go to where you are going. Because the man opened his eyes and he beheld the son of man standing on the right. Ah, ah, he said, my God, my God. This is where a man should be. Paul said, hmm, to depart and be with Christ is what? No, no, no. Far better. To live is Christ. To die is gain. To depart and be with the Lord is what? Far better. He didn't say better. He said what? Far better. You know, one of the reasons why Christians don't endure much on the earth is that they don't think of things that are eternal. Like I was saying yesterday, please, stop jumping up and down because of small discomfort and, and desire for a little bit of extra comfort. Like the one I told yesterday, a brother sent to me that a young woman that works for him does some good work. He says, sorry, I'm not feeling well. I won't be able to come to work today. By the way, stop sending messages to your boss to inform him you can't come to work. I think it's very bad manners. It's extremely bad manners. You don't inform your superiors of things like that. You obtain permission. If you have to send a message, say, please, can I call you now? Are you free? I would like to call. Please, I'm just coming 
from the hospital, can I be permitted to rest at home? Not, I want to inform you I will not be able to come. If he rises at the end of the month, I want to inform you I will not be able to pay. Is that, you know where you will go. You will go and call his pastor. And he says, but I informed you now. That's what they do. He says, but I told you. But I sent you a message. And you're looking at the individual. And you want to wait to the end of the month and say, but I also told there's no money now. They don't tell you. I told you we will not be able to pay for two months. So why are you not at work? I talked to one young man recently. I told him, I said, you know your, your problem? You don't get it. You don't even know what I'm talking about. I didn't know when I got up and shouted on him. He said, but I told her, I felt like, you know, thank God there are laws against slapping people. Just sent a message to the boss. I will not be able to come. Please, if you are a boss here, I beg you in the name of the Lord. At the end of the month, send me people messages. I will not be able to pay. And switch off your line after that. Say, so, should I do that? Not because it's good, but because you need to teach some people a lesson. So after they've come complain, they say, but you too, you sent me a message last week that you will not be able to come. I, so what's wrong with me sending you a message that I will not be able to pay? I hope you're getting my point. Anyway, this young woman did that to her brother and then sent a message after. Please, do you, do you know anybody abroad looking for house help? I am interested. <laughs> so her brother said, I thought you lived in Nigeria. Why did you move abroad? <laughs> I just brought up that issue that be careful. Just stop jumping up and down as a Christian looking for, you know, hey, you hear that uh, uh, Potakot is booming now. You've jumped from Benugu. From Potakot. There's one guy the other time. I told him, my friend, I said, you know this guy's problem. He was always jumping around. Good man, anointed man. I said, but he will not sit down in one place to do the ministry from today. You are in this city. Then you go to a big, that if you move from one big city to another, just moving and moving. And each time all you are doing is complaining. I hope I'll be able to get to the main thing I want to say today, but we'll keep talking. And I say, learn how to read signs. You know, I keep on saying that. Should I give you one more sign to learn? If you're always complaining, you don't have faith. Whatever you're believing God for, you never get it. You are double-minded. Say, Pastor, what do you mean? See, let me show you how you know people don't have faith. They see everything wrong in the environment, and they're always complaining about it. The road is bad, there's no power. He said, but these things are true. I'm not saying they are false. I'm just saying that you don't have faith. Learn to know when you don't have faith. You complain about your clothes. You complain about your friends, your co-workers. You complain about the country. Most Nigerians don't know that all this whining and complaining about the government is a sign of lack of faith. Don't worry. Most pastors will not agree with me. But you know, one of the things, when I started ministry, God told me that, look, go and stay where it doesn't matter whether people disagree with you or not. He didn't use those words, but that was how I had to derive from it. And I didn't understand what he was saying at the beginning. Those are leaders did not get the point. It was later on I now understood why I had to have a voice where I'm not afraid of whether somebody will approve of what I'm saying or not. So I'm used to it. If you're a master grumbler and complainer, it's a sign you don't have faith. It's a sign you don't have faith. Just note it too. Faith is not a feeling, no. What did I say? You can't feel. No matter how feely you are feeling, is that English good? She said, no. Okay, I've made it good, all right? No matter how feely you are feeling, it does not mean you have faith. Learn to use science to assess your faith. Learn to use science. Never use your feeling. Say, I'm so sure, I'm so sure. Mm-mm, doesn't mean anything. Check what you are doing. If you're a grumbler, you don't have faith. If you're always complaining, you don't have faith. If there's no joy in your heart, you don't have faith. If you're always angry, you don't have faith. If everybody gets on your nerves, your faith is down. 
Before 7 a.m., you've quarreled three times. Of course, you first quarreled with your wife, poor girl. Then you quarreled with the neighbor who parked near you. A second person, they quarreled with the gate man. Why? You go to the gate, you hunt, pam, pam. You expect him to just open the gate because he's sleeping on top of the gate. So as soon as you hunt, he has opened it. Then you hunt twice. The guy didn't open it because the guy, too, he has a bladder. He has to empty it once in a while. You hunt when he went to empty the bladder. Before the guy rushes out, what is wrong with you? Is that what they are paying you to do? I've been standing here for the, for the whole day. Oh, but it's 6, 7 a.m. How could I have been the whole day? That's the third person you are quarreling with. And he left you. Ah, let's not talk about the traffic from your gate to your office. Oh, if you are the manager, sorry for your staff that day. Brethren, is a sign of unbelief. What did I say? It's a sign of unbelief. Stop coming to tell me the story of what your wife did, which your neighbor also did, and the gate man did. Just know your faith is what? Down. Your faith is down. Your faith is down. You must, it's important we recognize that. I just want to drop that by the side. And of course, when it is down, go to God and pray. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. It's important. You go to him and pray. Say, Lord, help my unbelief. I don't know what is going on. Sometimes he will not tell you, look, close on time today. Go home. Go and sleep. Then wake up and pray. Wake up, study the scriptures. Wake up and declare the word. Take this particular psalm. Put it on your lips for the next two hours. Boost your faith. It's important. All right, so, like I was saying, so we got into that, into that point where we began to focus so much on material things as if that was what Christianity was about. We're looking for every time, trying to you know, validate our faith by what it produces for us materially. And that became a sign of ministry. That everybody in the church is, you know, blossoming materially. My friend was going to marry, of course, married uh, shortly before I did, so he's married for some time now. Around the time they got married, that before or shortly after, the wife followed him to church. After service, she started crying. Or during the service, she started crying. What was making her cry? Is this where I'm going to be going to church? If I tell the name of the denomination, <laughs> you'll be alarmed. The pastor came to church and he was shouting. You are still there. You are still there. Look at where you still are. Your mates are in Abuja doing contract. This guy is nowhere in hell. Yeah, the church is nowhere here. What's the name of the denomination? People are breaking through. You are still here. He not told the story of one sister. That girl is only 28. She has done this. She has done that. She's in Abuja doing contracts. You are still here. Now my friend, wife, or wife-to-be, break down, begin cry. She begins to cry. Young man, what is the problem? Is it the church we are going to be going to? <laughs> That's everything that day was about. Money. Money. How you need to get up and go and break through. And how God can do this for you. And the young woman started crying. And she should cry. It was worthy to weep over. We got to that point. Before we knew what was happening, churches became... Business centers. And indeed, if you went to, I don't know about now, maybe it has improved. You, if you go into a bookshop those days, there are just two sections in the shop. Spiritual books, business books. Why? It became so, we were so focused at the point in time on this world. That it was okay with us if only in this world we had hope. I'm telling you. It became okay with us. 
If only in this world we had hope. We were not of all men most miserable. We were of all men happiest. Before you know what's happening, Christians didn't care what happened in the town. There are churches you go to for years. Nobody says anything about resurrection. Nobody says anything about divine judgment. That one day Jesus will return. And there's what they call the bema of Christ. That's Greek. That nobody's saying anything about the fact that you have to face the judgment seat of Christ. And you'll have to give account of what you did in the body. Nobody talked about it. Of course, at a point in time, I also believe this. Uh, maybe not very actively, sure. Just thinking about it now. But it was almost as if, if we believe in that, like, now listen, what I want to say, like I said, listen, you have to balance them well. We preach as if, if we preach the gospel enough, Africa will develop. And I believe that, okay? I believe it. I believe it 100%, okay? But then we preach as if that's the aim of the gospel. So if we preach, we'll have good roads. If we preach, we'll have constant power. If we preach and people believe, we'll have good infrastructure. We'll have good government and all of that. So let us preach so we can have good roads. Let us practice the gospel so that we can have prosperity. Let us do these things so that this world will become good. Now let me say what I said a few seconds ago. I believe that indeed the gospel transforms places. It doesn't even have to try. It's inevitable. The gospel doesn't have to try. If only by transforming people, they become better workers. They'll become less thievery. They become less stillish. I must invent my own English. Looking at those English people. You won't finish Second Niger Bridge and they're already vandalizing it. You know it's already happening. If you've been reading the news, bridge that they are opening, they don't, they don't come out of the metal inside. People say it's poverty. It's not poverty. It's a bad habit. It's not poverty. It's not po- Just wait till they make me IG or police. Now, the point I'm making is, yeah, we know that people will steal less. We know that things will work better, most certainly. All right? We don't have any doubt about that. But the problem we had, okay, that's what I want to emphasize, is that we started thinking that that was the aim of the preaching. So it's not started hearing statements like, Japan didn't preach the gospel, yet they prospered. We started hearing things like, you see, was there, you know, and people started twisting this, of course, they started twisting things. Today that America, and look at what happened, all about this, in Europe, and they don't even go to church again. But, see, let me just, okay, I always digress to help people understand things, all right, so that you understand life, especially young people, okay, as you grow, you know what is important. See, if you say a developed country, a developed environment, a prosperous environment, you know what it is? God took something and gave somebody, it's a gift. It is 100% a gift. It has nothing to do primarily with the people. It's a gift. Now, why he gives or why he gives that kind of gift, we're not discussing now. There are different reasons. But if you see a fine place, it's a gift. I entertained myself watching documentaries, history, and all of that. When I saw the way the technology age, that is this fourth, is it what generation? Anyway, this current computer age we are in. When I saw the way it developed, I said, no, this is not human. In fact, the development that took place in the space of like 40 years was alarming. You go and read the story of the Moore's law. Moore says something. His colleagues later on said, it was so accurate. He said, look, they will double annually the amount of chips they can put, 
you know, the amount of processor they open, how they call it? yeah, the amount of chips, or the, what do you call that thing? Silicon chips, they'll be able to put, I'm looking, I'm looking for the correct, anyway, you know what I'm going to say? So that it kept, initially they were putting three. The man said, by some time to be 30 something thousand. Now they are doing it in millions. What used to take three before is taking now millions. When I look, I look, if you look at the process of manufacturing these things, I said, these are not humanly possible. These are divine inspirations, gifts of God. So please bear it in mind. Why God gives people, you read through the scriptures, you don't... See, let me give an example. Military might is a gift of God. Oh, military might is purely a gift of God. Yet, you know why, you know the strongest nation around at the point in time? Babylon, Assyria. And God said, do you know why I made them strong? They are the weapons of my wrath. Weapons of my indignation. So I tell Assyria, get up. These people, they've annoyed me. Go and destroy their land. The Assyrians will get there, kill everybody. When they are living, they carry stones and throw on every fertile piece of land. So you can't even farm. Scorched earth policy, they call it. They will cut down the trees. They took their, after killing people, they now take time out, break down the houses, cut down the trees, then take stones and throw all over the fertile land. And they will leave. And God said, don't mind them. They are very wicked people. They don't know they are obeying me, so I will punish them for their wickedness. Yet, I strengthen them to be weapons of my indignation. So military might is a gift of God. Don't even think, you know, don't ever think any human being can gather together, sit down, you know, agree, and then everybody will prosper. No. But when God has come, just by the way, you know, when I see what's going on in Sudan, I said, I knew your sins will catch you up eventually. I do it like this. See, until God has exhausted his anger against that land, that won't stop. Yes, until God has exhausted himself. That's the way God does it. It's like he has this pent-up anger. Nobody's letting it leak somewhere else through repentance and all of that. So one day it boils over. It will continue to boil until the pressure goes to zero. So sometimes God will just withdraw peace from people. And that's what he has done for them. Military might is a gift of God. If you see advancement in society, is a gift of God. If you see the land being fertile, nobody made it fertile. Only God did. Don't sit down there and be calculating technology. Is it when God has done something, you will see the way he did it. You will not be able to, you will not give the impression that the people, need. no. It, you are, what you are doing is seeing the hand of God. You now say that hand of God is not from God. It's the hand. So we start describing bodiless hands as if nobody, no intelligence is behind the hand. No. See, United States of America, God commanded the United States, you will be great. And he moved people there for his purpose. He blessed the land. He made the land so fertile through different ways that they were producing more food that they could consume. And I don't know whether they still do it now. Sometimes they go pour grain inside the ocean. During the lockdown, I think it was in Canada or somewhere. Look, they had to be milking cows and pouring it down the public drain. Yeah, because there was lockdown, the hotels were not open. And most of the, the market they had were hotels and restaurants, and not everybody were, everywhere was closed. And you know, the cow does not know how to stop production. You cannot just shout down, okay, say, stop production. No, cow keeps on producing milk. So these guys were milking cows every day and pouring it down the drain. That is millions of gallons of milk just being poured weekly down the drain. 
Oh, God. See, see God is great. When I was, why I said that greatness thing is that it's not because of the production. That God said, you know you can have milk, you won't be able to consume it. I'll, I'll put it down the drain. How will you do that? Say, okay, let me, should I make another COVID? You see? <laughs> yeah. So, please, let's bear it in mind. Why am I saying this? Because people started making statements like, um, after all, in Japan, they don't go to church, yet they are developed. Then we started getting confused. All right? Some of us started questioning it. That what's all of this? Then we realized that the problem was our thought. We thought that was the aim of the gospel. We don't know. It's in the Bible already. David said it clearly. It is possible for a man to deny God, but become so prosperous that you almost, your feet will almost sleep. And the feet of Christians were sleeping. Why? Because they went to Europe and saw people who denied God, who hated the gospel, yet they were prospering. David said, go into the temple and behold the end of all of these things. And that's the problem we have. We felt that there was no end to it. In this world, that's where we all have our hope. So if you, if you, your trains work well, power is constant, and you don't have to worry about whether salaries will come regularly, health care is what do we need the gospel for? And actually, many of us abandoned the gospel. I went to where the result of the gospel is already present. After this, what we are preaching for. We did not know that's not what we are preaching for. Paul said, if in this world alone we have hope, then we are of all men most miserable. Not whether we feel miserable is a fact about our miserability. Please, I will, use, I will do my own English. You cannot be telling me what I'm saying is not right because it's flowing. <laughs> The Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. He said if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. You know many people that you are pitying, don't even need, they, they, they don't realize they, they need pity. Sometimes I see young people or even older people making decisions and you are shaking your head. You are shaking your head. This is where this thing is going. But the person doesn't realize it. <laughs> Once in a while, I just remember something to make people laugh. One day, one man, he, he and his wife had serious problems. All right? So he went to see his father-in-law. He sat down and told the father-in-law every bad thing his wife had done or had been doing. So when he, he wanted the father-in-law's help. So when he finished, the father-in-law looked at him. I said, do you remember on your wedding day where I was sitting? The boy said, yes. You remember I was shaking my head? He said, I was feeling sorry for you. <laughs> you. You were of all men most to be pitied. But I'm telling you fact. He said, I was feeling sorry for you. The man stood, you know, the man went ahead and described how wicked his own wife is. The girl's mother. Then he finished by saying that, by the way, your wife is twice as wicked as my wife. He said, I didn't know why you decided to marry her. He said, well, I can't help you. Yeah. He said, look, I'm trying to solve my own problems. Go and solve your own. <laughs> what I've told you, God is my witness. I've not embellished anything. The man said what I've said. He wasn't speaking in English, all right? But I've translated it for you as closely as possible to what he said. He told, in fact, what he said, the word he used, 
He said, the bitterness in my daughter is twice that in her mother. That's what he used, bitterness. He said, so you're waiting there, I was shaking my head. <laughs> what am I going to say? So, when the Bible says that, we are all men most to be pitied. Hmm? It doesn't mean we feel like that. We will not feel like that. We may be feeling happy. We are mind the love of our life. Well, her father is shaking his head. Any Christian whose hope is primarily on this earth is to be pitied. If any time you are giving an offering, it's what it will bring for you on this earth that's the focus, is the focus of your mind, you are to be pitied. If you're a preacher focusing people on this earth concerning their reward, you are a pitiable preacher too. Generating pitiable followers. That whole church should be pitied. If you see a church where every time they are celebrating what they are getting materially, pity them. Don't join them. Pity them. I hope you follow my point. Pity them. Listen, I keep on quoting Dr. Fagbemi in this area. He said, the preaching of the gospel is not to develop the earth, but to end the world. Why? Because Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the ends of the earth. As a witness to the nations, then the end shall come. No matter how much you develop this world, develop this earth, it will come to an end. It will come to an end. It will come to an end. You know, I told you I entertain myself. When I want to entertain myself, what I spend my energy on is um, a little bit of comedy, but 90% of the times I am for entertainment. I watch documentaries, science, science, and all of that. So one scientific analysis of the future of this um, universe. So our Milky Way galaxy and the Andromeda galaxy are the two major galaxies in, the, in what you call our local group. It's a cluster of about 50-something galaxies that has billions and billions of stars, quite all right. But there was something that the fellow doing the analysis or the narration said that he hit me. And the man explained, basically, what hit me when he was speaking was the amount of darkness. You know, I never realized how dark the universe is. You know, we are so used to seeing stars and seeing the sun. We don't know that by nature the universe is intensely dark. That if they took you away, you understand, from the sun and from the stars, and you allowed it to float, you will be floating in eternal darkness. You know whether you are dropping or rising or falling. You, you even know whether you exist. Yeah, seriously. Ha. You know, that thing hit me so seriously a few days ago. I started thanking God that in him is light. Yeah. Now, you see where I'm going. Do you know this universe is going to be extinguished? That's naturally speaking. Without any special divine intervention further, one day to extinguish. It's going to be composed mostly of... Look, the only reason why there is light, what you see as light, right, is because there are reactions going on that is... And one day all those fuels will finish. Most of the stars will collapse into black holes. Seriously. I realized I said, ah, hey, but you know one thing? In fact, that's one thing John Lennon and some other um, Christian apologists and philosophers, all right, have tried to explain to everybody. People like um, Richard 
no, not Dawkins, Hitchens, Hitchens. Hitchens will tell you that, see, um, he thinks that, Hitchens' uh, problem is that he feels that God is incompetent. That, no, that is, if there is a God, then he's incompetent. Why? Why are stars exploding and collapsing? Most stars in the universe are what they call red dwarfs. Why? Basically, he's incompetent. Why can't he make something that will last forever? I feel like saying, oh, guy, Hitchens, something's wrong with your head. He doesn't want it to last forever. It will last for as long as he wants. And by the way, please, I want to digress a bit. And in case you, you, you think you know science, let me just tell you to cool your head down. Cool your head down. I want to explain something to you. I thought about this about two nights ago. And it don't mean that anybody following science as a sign, that is especially these people talk about stars origin in the universe and all of that, as a way of knowing truth. You are confused. You don't even realize. And I'll prove it to you in a moment. Don't worry. Don't take me long to prove it. I see people like Hitchens and Dawkins and many of these atheists trying to make it look like, you know, after they second by you know, the stars, the origin of the stars and all of that. Do you know these guys have changed their mind, made major shift at least three times in the last 60 years? And you're still following them. But the Bible has not changed once. And the more they change their mind, they confirm what we read in the scriptures. Now, sometimes we did not fully understand, and we still don't fully understand. Let me give an example. I heard John Lennon say this. He said, was it only 60 years ago there about that physics, science finally understood that the universe has a beginning? That until the last 60, 70 years max, the consensus in the field of physics and astronomy is that the universe is eternal. It has always been there, and it will always be there. Why? That's all they understood. He said, but the Bible from the beginning told us, in the beginning, there was a beginning. God made the heavens and the earth. The earth would know, and all the stars therein. He said, the Bible already told us there was a beginning. Science discovered only 60 years ago there about that there was a beginning. How did they discover it? Albert Einstein and co., in his theory of relativity, speed of light, all those things, the man realized that, no, this universe must have started from somewhere. When powerful telescopes were built, and they could see into the distant nights, the stars at night, when they have clear skies, they found out that the universe was expanding. So it makes sense that if you're expanding, you started from somewhere. So they started writing that there was a beginning called what? The Big Bang. As crazy as that sounds, it's actually beginning to align with Scripture. The Scripture said from forever that there was a beginning. Now listen to the next thing they said. Now because it's a big bang, it's common sense. All the energy was released in an instant. So from one small, something as small as a marble, smaller actually, intensely dense you can imagine, everything came out, boom, an explosion. So think about it. That explosion, everything starts slowing down, right? So that he now said that this, when Stephen Hawking wrote his book, A Brief History of Time, I read that book in the late 80s, around 1990, was when I read A Brief History of Time by Stephen Hawking. All right? They predicted that this big expansion, because of the power of gravity, is slowing down. I hope you get my point. It makes sense. All right? So then the boom, the thing sprang open, and then there's gravity pulling it 
Please, I, 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 I hope I'm not confusing. Those of you who decide that, Pastor, finish this thing. Let me just bear with us, those of us who like to study physics. Is that okay? Who are those who like physics? Wave your hand. Okay, at least we're up to 15%. It's good. All right. You're more than 15%. Okay. So, he said to be expanded. Of course, it makes sense that it will be expanded. Now, Stephen Hawking, top physicist of this world and mathematician, he wrote in his book, all of them believed it, that the expansion definitely, the greatest impact was at the beginning. The greatest force, so it's slowing down. So one day the whole universe will end in a big crunch. If they expand to the limit, then gravity will pull everything together, and then one day, boom, everything will go back. And then maybe to explode again, so that it will be like a seesaw. And they said, all right. And that was the established law. The principle, everybody believed it. Until telescopes like Hubble Space Telescope peered further into the skies and found out that there's this redshift in the light coming from far, which implies, let's make a long story short, that it's not slowing down, it's accelerating. Where is it getting the energy for acceleration? It's obvious the energy is not coming from the Big Bang. So you know what they now call the energy? Dark energy. Now those who don't know, they think dark energy is one of the measure in the lab. You know what they call dark energy? Energy that's dead that we are not aware of. Do you now see first eternal universe? Next, Big Bang origin universe that's going to end a big crunch. Next, a universe that's expanding further, which means there's no hope. No hope for the big crunch. I say, eh. Hey. And some people are still following physics. I see the physics will tell them the origin of the universe. You want to know why I believe in God for those who are just listening to this who want to understand. Why I'm a Christian is different from why I believe in God. I want you to understand something. Please, can we stay there for a moment? I have no respect for people like Hitchens and Dawkins, and you'll see my reason in a moment. Because their thought is absolutely unscientific. These are world-leading atheists, philosophers. Number one, Hitchens is a, is a journalist. So let's leave him out. Even though he reads a lot, you see, he fills his head with a lot of knowledge, but he doesn't understand it. He's a journalist. Dawkins is a biologist. He knows a bit of science. Right? But I have no respect for them because I think they are liars. You see what I'm, my point in the moment. Why do I believe in God? Like I said, there's a difference between why I'm a Christian and when I be, why I believe in God. After all these years, the reason why I believe in God is a scientific, I have a scientific explanation for why there is God. Because you see him show up every time. They give him f- f- funny names. Like they call him dark energy. They call him dark matter. Why? They don't understand what he's doing. So anything they don't understand, why? They give it a name. Why was, was there a big bang at the beginning? Now, scientifically, scientifically, if we were to follow the laws of science, you know what we would have said? Who did this? But because we like to lie, we say, it happened for no reason. So where's victory? It's at the back. When he asks victory, what's the big bang? He says, it's nothing. Nowhere. No time. No reason. Boom. And that makes perfect sense. Think about it. That's the reason why I believe in God. Because if you think that makes sense, something's wrong with your head. Nothing. No reason. Nowhere. No time, because there was no time. Time started after the Big Bang. 
and you are not willing to accept that maybe, maybe there is somebody who did it. I hope you're getting my point. Another reason, still science, science. A man gave this testimony in a court in the United States. His name is so difficult to pronounce, so I couldn't memorize his name, but I have it somewhere written down. The man said to make the smallest functional enzyme in a primitive living thing like a bacterium is as easy to come forth by chance as we go to Opera, one of our stadium here, Namdi Azikiwe Stadium, sorry. We go to Namdi Azikiwe Stadium to go and watch Julius Beja play Aqua United. And they tell everybody, wait, give me your names. And you go around and find out that randomly they sat in a perfect order of the alphabet of their names. He said, that is easier to do than to randomly form an enzyme. Now listen, listen, he's not done. No. And that game happened 10 consecutive times. And they all sat without no argument. They just came and, came and sat down and found out that Mr. A sat right next to Mr. B. And with all the alphabets in their names. And it's in perfect order, like a computer arranged them. The man said, not only did it happen once, it happened in what? 10 consecutive games. Not as if one game after a million years. No, 10 consecutive games. You randomly filled a stadium of 50,000 people, and this happened 10 times. He said the chances of that happening is what it takes to randomly form an enzyme for no reason. The common sense thing, if you found that in a stadium, you walked in, and everybody is sitting according to the order of their names, you know that somebody must have used a computer to print the tickets and told them where to sit. Listen, God, the evidence for God is all over science. Anybody that can see it does not want to see it. It's why I have no respect for Dawkins or Hitchens or anybody that, scientist that says there is no God. The best you can say is I don't know him. I hope you're getting my point. That's the best you can say. I don't know what he's like. It's the best you can say. You can never say there is no God. The second issue is, why am I a Christian? That is the one that is not scientifically provable. Why? That is based on revelation. You can never be a believer unless God reveals himself to you. It's not possible. It's not possible. The only way you become a Christian is that God won't... It's not because your parents are Christians. So that can help you. But real Christianity is that one way or the other, God has put a spirit in you that helped you to understand that's a nobody can come except the Father draws him. But the knowledge of God, God doesn't need to consciously give it to you. He has already put it in all of creation. He can remove it from you. But naturally, default, you will know. You may not know who, but you know somebody. So if anybody tells you that there's no God, the person is lying. Or he doesn't know anything yet. You know, you can see a 15-year-old who says that he's an atheist. You know why? He's angry with his father. He's angry with his mother. So the only way he can rebel, I'm not going to church, man. Then he looks for people like Dawkins to follow. Is that deceiving himself that he's enlightened? But the more you know life, you know that, God, I may not know you, but you definitely are there somewhere. Why am I saying all of these things? If as a preacher, you fix anybody's hope only in this world, you are creating people that should be pitied. You are creating people that should be pitied. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Now, I, I agree I'm not just passing through. But this world is not my home. 
revelation. Truth. I remove the word just, but I'm just I'm, I'm passing through. I don't just do the word just. I'm on assignment here. But I'm passing through. I'm not going to stay here forever. I am passing through. A time will come that my sojourn on this earth will come to an end. Even if I don't want it to come to an end, the earth will melt from under my feet. Please let nobody be harassing you that what you need in this life, you know. I've heard you say, if you don't have land, you don't have. Landlessness is voicelessness. Leave that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I, I came for one meeting. He was one that spoke, one of your big retired professors. So landlessness is voicelessness. It's a lie. Which land did John the Baptist have? I hope you're getting my point. It was the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Which, which land did he have to have? Kind of the story of Elijah. Showed up from nowhere. Nobody told us who his father is. His, mother, his father was. His mother was. He just showed up. Elijah the Tishbite. And they called him the troubler of Israel. What you need is a voice. You don't need land. I hope you're getting my point. God, if God gives you a voice, land will follow you if necessary. I hope you're getting what I'm saying. If in this world alone we have hope, we have all men most to be pitied. Whether we feel like it or not is irrelevant. We are of all men most to be pitied. Let's continue reading. When verse 20. Now this is a fact. People of God, listen. Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Now I'm talking about the grace of our Lord Jesus. Is that resurrection from the dead we are talking about? It has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because they all belong to Adam, that is, that body of Adam is doomed to death. Everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there's an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. Somebody say amen. amen. See, that's a matter of fact. That is a matter of fact. After that, the end will come. When he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For the scriptures say, God has put all things under his authority. Of course, when he says all things under his authority, that does not include God, that is the Father himself, who gave Christ his authority. Then, sorry, for time's sake, I want to just get to some things. Okay, let's, verse 35. But someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? What a foolish question. When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. What you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you are planting. Then God gives it the new body he wants it to have. Something just hit me now. I've been asking a question for a while. I just got the understanding. <laughs> then God gives it the new body he wants it to have. A different plant grows from each kind of seed. 
Similarly, there are different kinds of flesh. One kind for animals, another for, eh, for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are also bodies in the heavens and bodies on the earth. That is, there are different kinds. That's the point he's making. Verse 42, it is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die. But they will be raised to life forever. But you've already established that those, that one will decay. But as that spirit is rising, a new one is formed for it. So our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. Let me just read a few more verses. The scriptures tell us the first man, Adam, became a living soul. I'm switching now to another Bible. The last man, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. I'm going to stop reading there. The first man said he became a living soul. But the last Adam became what? A life-giving spirit. That Jesus, now what he does is to give life to us. He says, verse 49, just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. Now we are like the earthly man. We will someday be like the heavenly man. I think that's the end of what I want to begin to talk about. The fact that we have borne the image of the earthly man, right now we are like Adam, physically speaking. But what is the plan of God? That we will bear the image of Christ Jesus. Now, let's bear that in mind. So, we're talking about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're talking about. Because sometimes, we have to go over this again and again. Like, we began some time ago talking about the faith fundamentals, foundations for the Christian work. This is part of it. We're just switching, you know, focused lightly and giving under title. Let's go down, have 30. Okay? Let's just, <laughs> you should have been part of that. So, if you are listening to this, all right, please, go get where we began from, which is faith foundations for the Christian work. This is an extension of it. I want to just remind us again of what God is doing. Let's summarize just from where we have read. This is something I've said again and again in recent times. I just like to say it again. First, whether we like it or not, it's a matter of fact. We did not come out of nothing. Was there a big bang or there was no big bang? It's really irrelevant. Please, can I go back there for a second? They said in the big bang, there's what they call the inflation theory. That is, the whole universe started from the size of a marble to millions of, let's say, billions and billions of kilometers across in less than one over one billionth of a second. Chooses glasses almost fell from his eyes when I said that. Did you hear that? That at the beginning, everything started from less than one cm across and went to a diameter measured in billions of kilometers in less than one over one billionth of a second. Yeah. Now, the funny thing about it is that people conceive it and say it's science. I said, that's what they call creation. What's wrong with you? If that really happened the way you are saying it, it's what they call creation. It's like, remember, it's a light, B. And there was. <laughs> I hope you're getting my point. So first and foremost, God made the heavens and the earth. Somebody say amen to that. Yeah. We believe it is scientifically, it has been scientifically proven but just not acknowledged by many scientists. Many scientists acknowledge it as a matter of fact, but they silence their voices. It's deliberate. It's a satanic agenda in this fallen world. Yeah. There is enough evidence by scientists that even though we can't see him, 
We can see his hand. We can see his finger. We can see why an enzyme will be arranged, even though if we are left it to arrange itself randomly. He has, a, he has less than one in an eternal chance of ever happening. But it happened. There's only one conclusion to that. And intelligence must have dictated that. We know that. But this is Christianity. We are saying that same God, that same God that made the heavens and the earth, all right? One day, he took on part of what he made, wore it, and came down to the earth to come and live like one of us so that he can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. I jumped a few steps there. We believe absolutely, because it's recorded in scripture for us, God revealed it, that the first man he made. Now, for your information, there is historical evidence for these things. What I'm trying to say is that if you read your Bible, right, you just think that there was a man called Adam, then he died, then his son called Seth, quite all right, yes, took over from him because Cain died and then, oh, sorry, Abel died and Cain went crazy, all right? <laughs> yeah, as soon as Seth took over from him, and then that one died. They, long, they kept on having children, then they died and all of that. What you will not realize, the story of creation was not just passed down to Moses by revelation. He, he had his revelation, we believe that, okay? No doubt. But actually it was also passed down orally. From Adam, please, many people don't know this. I need to emphasize it. Adam told the story. Who was the father of Noah? He didn't have dementia. Just go online, look for charts that lay them side by side. All right. Methuselah died before the flood. Of course, you know the flood. You know what the meaning of Methuselah? When it dies, it will happen. All right. So immediately after he died, the flood came. They live side by side. So people may, may, may not know. Methuselah died just before the flood. These people, they were living with, not with their grandchildren, or their, but their great, great, great grandchildren. You know, when you read some stories sometimes, I don't want to cause confusion now, all right? So I don't go and say some things that are wrong. But, you know, I read one recently. Now, I'm not saying I believe this, okay? But somebody proved that shame, you know, shame, no, okay. They tried to prove that Shem was Melchizedek. I don't believe that. I have the same reason why I don't believe it. But what I want to bring up for you is that Abraham actually knew Shem. I don't know whether I get my point. Can you believe? I don't know. If you never read it, you probably didn't, it didn't strike you. Maybe you never thought about it. That Shem, the son of Noah, who must have heard the story of creation and everything that happened from the mouth of Noah, told it to Abraham. Now, I'm not saying he was Melchizedek. I'm not saying he was. But at least, the history is clear that their lives ran parallel. So don't think the story of creation is one myth. No. It drilled down by mouth easily down to people like Abraham, which meant Isaac heard it. What does that tell you? Jacob heard it and told to his children. Now I said, it may have been corrupted. Yeah, fact. It may have been. But at least you, bought, you, you bear it in mind that people were not going around wondering where they came from. They knew. Adam passed easily down the story to his descendants, the things that God used to teach him. It wasn't, it wasn't strange. Passes it down easily. 
We just thought there was a big... And then, he said, now let me tell you something. Human mind, human behavior is very powerful. Like, very dynamic. I'm trying to say something here. Um, if you can remember more than five phone numbers, can you put up your hand? No man has put up your hand. Five people, all women. These guys, you guys have a problem, really. Seriously. Anyway, it's not your fault. I hope you know men and women are not exactly the same. They are not exactly the same. No, no, they are not at all. They are, we are really different. Let nobody de- de- deceive you that uh, we can, yeah, you can't be transgender. You can only be transdemonic. There's nothing. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's only demons that can worry you. There's nothing like transgender nonsense. Women are very different from men. Now, jokes apart, I just asked, how many people can remember more than five phone numbers? I saw quite a number of hands of all of them females. Even this, with all the beer, beer, they can't even store phone number. In the, nothing. Nothing. All the hands are went up. Females. Let's just small. The truth is that men and women are very different. Like now, you see colors differently. It's been demonstrated. You can easily demonstrate. So don't ever argue with your wife over color. Never. If you say that thing is red, just say yes, ma. If you don't, uh, <laughs> look. Before I used to, I, no, no, I learned it long ago. It's not a lie. That, they are the ones that invented names for colors. Men have navy blue, blue, and light blue. She cannot. The woman will say, this one is turquoise. This one is royal. This one is sky. This one is sea. All of them blue. We are still in blue. They recognize, you know, that this one is indigo. This one is navy blue. This one, this one, teal, thank you. There's teal. Please don't argue with that. Did you hear that? Did you just hear that? Did you just hear that? There's baby blue. Please, they are not lying. They can tell you all of that. They lay them side by side. And you're looking like, madam, is blue. They actually see differently. It's been shown. They see different shades of red. They can see up to nine or more different shades of red. Guys only see like three. And the man is not lying. He's not lying. He's red. Madam is red. He just see red. The woman will not say this is, is, it, is, it, is it baby pink? This one's pink. This one, that, that, that push. Ah! You will go to heaven. It's, it's clear because they told us in heaven there are many colors. I'm sure women... <laughs> No, women are going to heaven first. All those women that said they went to hellfire and saw only women, they lied. It's, only, it's the men that went to hellfire because they can't see color, they just see darkness, eternal darkness. <laughs> the Lord is good. Sorry, please. I like to digress a bit, please. Hmm? Just to help people. You have to learn this now, I've just said. It sounds like a joke. But if you want to have peace and harmony, especially if you're a husband and wife, or even a, yeah, you have to just learn that people actually see things differently. I'm not saying you should agree to everything, but just know it. There's some that they're not being difficult. They actually see it, perceive it differently. Both men and women. Men know it. Women, even yourself, know it more. Now, you're not seeing from my viewpoint. It's because you two are not seeing from my viewpoint. These viewpoints go both ways. Do you follow what I'm trying to say? Uh, please be nodding now because I've been married for 24 years now, in a few months, okay? I'm telling you. Clap for me, please, now. <laughs> yeah, no, really. And one of the things you try and do in life is try and see from somebody else's perspective. Yeah, it makes it easier. 
All right? It doesn't mean you always agree with that, but at least see it from that. So I know the person is not being stupid or being stubborn. Right? And that's why a lot of children have problems. Because before, we thought every child would learn A, B, C, D, E and be happy. Sometimes, some of them see A, B, C, D, O. They're not beating from now to tomorrow. He can't see the E. It's inherent. It's inside him. So you have to try and learn, you know, look at each person's perspective. That's, um, those who teach children, you have to be careful to just look at people who are seeing things differently from the way you are seeing them. All right? That's one thing about life. We see things differently and try and appreciate it. It makes it easier for you to relate. You know, I told you before, <laughs> I, I use this illustration. My wife is left-handed. She writes with the left, she eats with the left, she does everything with her left, okay? Yeah, which, is, which was good for her because that is very early in life, her dad recognized it and they never tried to swap it. And I, a doctor told them then, don't try it. Being left-handed is, is normal, it's innate, it's not a big deal. You have cultures that say you can't, no, 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 no. Everything is, for her, is, it just, it's, not, it's, it's ingrained in the brain. You're not, it's not something you learn. For you to be right-handed, do everything with your right, you know, play ball with your right, all those things, is ingrained. It's not as if um, you learned it. You have to choose whether you are using the left side of the brain or the right side of the brain, primarily. It's decided for you before you are born. If you force children who are left-handed to write with their right, they become very slow. They learn slowly, they write slowly, they drop a year or two below their mates. There's nothing you can do about it. So you have to be very careful, just leave the people alone. So my wife is left-handed. Okay, in fact, see our wedding picture. So people, when people say, they're always striking, it's somebody signing <laughs> wedding certificate. Is that? She's, I say, yes, so. No, it's the balance. I'm right-handed, she's left-handed, so we're balancing the family. <laughs> so you are both right-handed. That's how you drive, you bend like this. <laughs> so why does she do one funny thing? I told you, she wants to come out of the compound, she backs out of the compound, and I couldn't understand the concept. Why are you backing out of the compound? I'm looking from upstairs. Madam, why are you backing out of the corner? What if you run somebody on the road? Run into somebody else coming straight down. I said, turn now. She said, that one is more. How can it be more difficult? One day I got tired. I said, Madam, please do as I say. Turn inside the compound and go. He said, okay, sir. She did that so there will be peace and tranquility. I have a colleague in the office. He's left-handed. And then when they were talking about it, I was just trying to say, he laughed. He said, no. She's left-handed. I say, he said, that's the reason why. I said, what did you say? He said, backing out of the compound is actually easier. What do you mean? He said, she's left-handed, that he can drive from here to nature with his back. Just because the law doesn't allow him. <laughs> I said, what did you say? He said, no, it's fun. I said, what? He said, yeah, job like job. Ah! <laughs> you are really left-handed. <laughs> That's when I came back home. I said, Madam, please, you can back down the street. I don't have a problem. <laughs> no, these are the things. I just wanted to drop that, okay? Just um, lend them. So if you and somebody differ on something, don't try your best not to make it into a real dispute. Just try and see that is, is, is he or she seeing it differently. Do you follow my point? Uh-huh. The Lord is good. For those of you who are older than GSM, you know, like older than GSM. I mean, I don't mean just older. I mean really older than GSM. GSM came to Nigeria about 20 years ago, right? Yeah, about 20 years ago now. About some just tenure, 99, yeah. So it's about a year 2000, 2001. Good. Before then, 
There were not too many phone numbers in Nigeria. But there was something you could do if you remember. You could easily hook a hundred phone numbers in your head. Yeah. Because the way you remember people's phone number was by remembering it. There were no smart devices. Phones did not store your number. So, instinctively, when they tell you a number, you memorize it within a short while. These days, you don't bother. Once they give you a number, it goes into your Google account. So, anytime you need a number, you'll bring a new phone. It's Android. Just put in your Google account. All the phone numbers drop. So that now you only remember few numbers, numbers that rhyme, and your wife's number. Yeah, that's it for the guys. Even your own number, do you remember it? I'm not so sure. I'm say, what's your number? I say, wait, let me check. You bring that the phone to check your own number. It wasn't like that before. Well, we just put things in our head. It was just it was instinct. Like people who even people who navigate the seas those days, they had, they use stars to find their way easily. This is use GPS. And using the stars is now so difficult. The Indian trackers, that is, what the Native Americans, walk across thousands of kilometers, come back home without missing their way. Even in Africa. Guys will walk through bush and they will find their way back home without any effort. It's what you train your mind to do. It's what you have available to disable your mind. <laughs> Yeah, you know this smartphone you have in your hand has replaced like 10 devices. More than 10. Let's count a few. Number one, watch. Watch, calculator. Huh? Calendar. Anybody make calendar nice on his own? Anybody looking at it? All right. What else? Diary. Camera. Flashlight. Thank you. Radio. You know, music player. Very important. Yes. Huh? VCD players, you know, a lot, it replaced a lot of things. Of course, post office is dead. <laughs> Everything, you know, just put it here. Replaced a lot of things and then made it impossible for people to remember a lot of things. Now, if you tell me something's happening, if I don't put it in my calendar immediately, it's forgotten. But those of you could rack, put some things in your head. And then those men, those even had less to worry about. And they slept more. When you don't sleep, you forget things. Why you are having dementia is that you are not ever asleep before one o'clock, and by five you have woken up. Your brain will get damaged. That's not a joke. You know, I'll tell you when I'm joking. You see, you see, laugh on my face. I'm not laughing. Those of you that will never sleep on time, and you wake up early. The Bible says it is what vain. What does that mean? One day your brain will become damaged. A lot of the problems this modern world has because they don't sleep. Why would you sleep when you have all kinds of lights? They had the white light. They brought the one that's flashing. Stop keeping your phone away from it. It's not coming on and waking you up. Now, where I'm going with all of this is that those men could remember things. They could. One, there were not too many distractions. Number two, they slept well. Number three, they didn't have anything else to use to remember things. So the brain, look, this is the one you pass information from one person to the other to the other to the other. It gets distorted. It's modern issues. Those days, no. It did not used to get distorted simply because they were brought up with accuracy of transmission. In mind. 
So if you say, go there, tell him A, B, C, D. They are used to getting there and say, good morning. Daddy said, I should tell you A, B, C, D. He doesn't explain. It's training. So they could pass things down a number of generations and there will be next to no change in the narration. It's just the women were trained. Adam will tell Methuselah things. Seth, not Seth, them, Shem, will tell things to Abraham the way it happened. It's just the generation they lived in. And the men did not have, did you see anybody in the Bible that they say had dementia? The worst they ever had was they stopped seeing clearly. All this dementia is modern, modern iniquity. Modern iniquity. And you know, for a long time, for you to know that this I'm telling you is not a lie. Do you know, Egyptians were already living short lives when the descendants of Abraham were still living very long. When Pharaoh saw Jacob, he was alarmed. He, Jacob had a big head. When we're looking at this man, you have come again. How did you know? Okay. Just to, that just, uh, just you small. You know how I know? It's been shown that this skull never stops growing. Yeah. The longer you live, the bigger your head. Yeah, really. The skull keeps on getting thicker and thicker. <laughs> The flat bone of the skull, it keeps going, getting thicker and thicker. And one man actually picked a first, one of the things they, they found, and said that this uh, homo, this giving it names, he says it's a lie. These are just people that live to be 300, 400 years old. So when they found their skull, the skull was unusual because it, this part of it was not that big compared to the face. So they thought it was another, he said, not another animal, just a human being that lived to be 500. The cap when they make for him, when they're young, like, like, on his wedding day, you got, went and gave him a cap, he wore it. 70th birthday, wear the same cap. You're not going to enter again. Say so the cap shrank. No, your head became bigger. <laughs> Stop blaming the cap. <laughs> okay, that's just a joke. But what I've said is a fact, all right? But when I said that Jacob had a big head, yes, he did. Because Pharaoh saw him like, ah, Oga, what is going on here? He was really surprised at what he was seeing. They had been living long for a long time. So bear these things in mind. I just want to emphasize something. Again, why did I get into that? Anyway, God made the man. So, okay, I'm talking about the narration, the accounts we have from the beginning. is correct. What we find in scripture is actually like real accounts from people that were there. Adam could tell you what happened. But on top of that, God gave revelation to Moses. And you know God used to speak to Moses and he would explain things to Moses. And you see it also in the New Testament. Today we're just you know, trying to get some facts right, alright? In the New Testament you see that Peter and Co. were at the last supper truffles. They spread the gist around, didn't they? They did. But was that where Peter headed from? Was that where Paul headed from? No. Exactly what happened to Moses. The Jesus was there also. But Moses also heard his own from the Lord. So he could tell you what was accurate and write it down for us. So we know that at the beginning, when God made the earth, at the beginning of this particular world, that's another story. This world had another beginning, apart from the first beginning in which God made the heavens and the earth. This world we are in, the world world is different from earth. The system we are in right now, this Adam we are talking about, because we know Adam is not the first created being. At least you know about angels. So you know about cherubim and seraphim. So at least let's come down to Adam. God made Adam for a reason that we talked about earlier. Or I think it was last year we began to talk about that. God made Adam for a particular purpose. 
and Adam fell. What was the fall of Adam? Let me end today with describing the fall of Adam. All right? Of course, let me quickly say what came out of it. After Adam fell, God put in the next plan, which was not a new plan. It was not an afterthought. That was where they were going all the while. I've established that before. Jesus did not come as an afterthought. The thing that Jesus came to produce was originally what Adam was supposed to produce. All right? That second man was going to be produced as a result of eating of the tree of life. That was clear. Okay? But Adam was supposed to prepare to be able to eat that tree. Okay, but the man fell. Now, so when God remedied that situation, his plan was not changed. His plan was still that one day, let me just read this again. We read it just now. Verse 49. Just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like what? The heavenly man. Now, let's read verse 50. What I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Note that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does a perishable inherit the imperishable. It's important we understand this. The plan of God for us is that we will inherit the kingdom of God. That's his plan. It's always been the eternal plan. So what he's doing is preparing us to be able to inherit that kingdom. That's God's plan. Now, when Adam fell, now back to the issue of Adam, I want to end with the fall of Adam. Adam fell, we know. What is the fall of Adam? No, we're talking about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The grace of Jesus Christ is to prepare us to inherit the kingdom of God. That's where we are going. But when Adam fell, what was the fall of Adam? What is the sin of Adam? We know that God made Adam, after a while, from his rib, from his side, he took a piece of tissue and made into the woman. Fact. It's not myth. It's not myth. Taking literally, you will be accurate. Again, I digress to explain some things. The only issue is that when the Bible gives you a narration, it tends to be an executive summary. You know what they call an executive summary? Is there an executive that is, you write a 10-page report. No. Some of these reports are like 50 pages, 100 pages, 200 pages. You now carry a 200-page report and go and get the president of Nigeria to read so you think it's only your problem he's supposed to be solving, are you? It's only going to solve your problem. So what does he do? When you submit it, they give it to somebody else who will bring everything down to one sheet. Maximum of two pages. They brief him on everything. They give him a sheet of paper. He looks at the front and the back. Every summary is in the end. Please, again, by the way, learn how to write reports. You know, I keep on digressing now. Some people, they have good information. They bury it. And they go around the society telling that that man doesn't listen. You wrote for a governor 50 pages because you want to develop new heaven. What is your problem? He's not going to listen to you. Not because he's wicked, but because he doesn't have the time. So, just by the way, if you want to write a report, you know what I should, let me give you the tip. It's called synopsis. The first page is a summary of everything you want to say in short, short points. Let them know the, where the detail for each point is. So the man picks the page said, we can give uninterrupted power supply to New Haven. It will cost its citizens only about 10,000 naira a month. And that will require little contribution from the government. And they will get this amount in taxes. One page. Bam. Ah. Or more. <laughs> this guy is serious. How will he do it? Then he can now tell somebody. Read this portion and explain it to me. We want to put your summary at the back. Once you open this preamble. We have noticed... <laughs> 
Hey. Look, I know how these things work. You seen it now, they send the information on WhatsApp. You say you didn't get it. They will send they show it to you where it was. Yeah, you got it, but when you saw the length, you jump to the next thing. That's how you deal with people. Though. I hope you're getting my point. Don't say I didn't help you, I helped you to deal. Uh-huh. I will start with preamble. We have noticed that in this city, these are things that are happening. Businesses are dying. People are emigrating. Tax are, you are telling the government the problem. They know the problem. Why do you think they went for election? They know the problems. Jump to the solution quickly. I'm telling you how to deal with orgasms. Many of these people, they say they are wicked. They are not wicked. They just don't have your time. Now, I've said another thing. Maybe I should start Kingdom World School of Business and Administration. Don't you think so? Chooks, you'll be the dean of the faculty. Apostle, we should make him the dean. What do you have a PhD for? <laughs> to be decorating your, your name, doctor. <laughs> You'll be the dean of the faculty. All right. Who wants to work there? Aha. <laughs> Jonah, your wife has volunteered. Now, so they take start. We are laughing now. Small, small. The Lord is good. Please let me summarize this. So, your Bible usually is an executive summary. That's why I want you to teaching us some management principles. It's an executive summary, but it's literal. It's correct. It's just summarized. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. Some people came 5,000 years later, and they're not telling us about the Big Bang. So about 7,000 years later or so, 6,000, telling about the Big Bang. It doesn't change the fact that in the beginning, God banged the heavens and the earth. Are you getting my point? The Big Bang was in power. If you come to me and say, it's not the Big Bang, it's a big, uh, big manufacture, a big, big light. It is still God made. We won't argue with you because we don't know how he did it. You can be researching for eternity on how he did it. It's your problem. We will not change the fact that we believe that in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. How did he make man, the woman out of the side of the man? Now we know genetic things are happening that cannot be reasonably explained. We now know that it is possible for an animal to be plain, and then you make striped animals out of it. You say, Pastor Bank, is that true? Do you know I found that recently? Dog breeds are abnormal. What they call pure, purebred dog. So this dog is a pure breed. It means it's a dog that people bred abnormally and created something off and called a pure breed. Just to let you know it's possible. All dogs were the same. When they came out of Noah's Ark, there was just one dog. <laughs> hey. You know, when I start telling you things, I say so many things. What's my problem? Now, what am I saying? So when you hear that Jacob put a stick in front of goats and sheep, and plain goats began to bear spotted or striped animals, sheep, it's not strange. Now men are doing it. But when God did it, he did it in an instant. Anytime you hear, and, anytime you hear, and God said, and there was... What God said and there was is just the experiment that will have taken human beings 200 years done in one second. And it makes sense. He's a faster processor. You're talking about artificial intelligence. He's divine intelligence. What it takes you 200 years to do, you should be able to do it in a microsecond. He's that much greater than you. So don't tell me it's folk tale. It's not folk tale. If you can even think about it, then he can do it. I hope you're getting my point. Listen. Just by the way, if you listen to me, you will be start, you start worshiping the God of science. That is, this is our God. It's the God that created science. That's what I mean by worshiping the God of science. That he is above, you know, the Son of Man is Lord of Sabbath. This God is God over science. There's nothing science has ever seen that's not in your scriptures. 
There's nothing in your scriptures that's not scientifically reasonable. Just that you don't know enough science. That's why he says folktale. God made the woman from the side of the man. Very, very possible. I can even tell you how he did it. It's very simple. I can do that too. All right, if you give me enough time, enough laboratory equipment, and you have godly support. All right, it will work. Yes. You take one stem cell from the man, remove the Y chromosome, and throw it away. And take the X chromosome, duplicate it, and reinsert it, and close it, and let it multiply. Who much? That's it. Clap for me now. <laughs> what I'm saying is doable. It is doable. What God just did was to rearrange some things. He took some things out of the man. He said, look, your gene will no longer carry mitochondrial genes. Put it over here. Do it Just do some things. Bam. We can do some of this in the lab after like 500 years. He did it overnight. Is that too strange for a God to do? It's not too strange for a God to do. People of God, he made the man, then made the woman. Male and female created he them. And he blessed them. And said to them, be fruitful, multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it. Have dominion. He said it to them. And that's empowerment. It wasn't a word of counsel. Adam, come on. Fruitfulness go good, though. No. I want you guys to try and multiply. You know, don't use contraception. Just multiply. No. <laughs> when he said it, they had no choice. Cain had to come. Abel will come. The earth had to be filled. Then, now let me summarize with this. I just want to add this one to it. Let me summarize with, it, with this. Then, Satan came and gave them an offer. And the offer was simple. Will you follow God? Or because now you are very intelligent, you do things the way you want. What I think is what I think. If Satan had come too early, they would not have agreed. They knew nothing. But after God had interacted with Adam for some time, Adam had become intelligent. I want you to understand something. You're only as good as two things. Number one, the kind of spirit you have. And secondly, most importantly, the information that is fed into you. Do you get what I'm saying? Now, so what happened was that God had been interacting with Adam for a while. Adam had become smart. Adam had become wise. The idea now crossed Adam's mind that they actually make it on their own. Not everything requires praying, Adam said. Adam already knew agriculture. Listen, let me just warn you. As God is blessing you, stop having the idea that you know how to do anything. Every day, wake up and pray. There are times God will deliberately give you something off. Close some doors. Start life again for you in a different dimension. What he's just trying to do is for you never to go to the way of Adam. Because what happened to Adam was that Adam believed he could make it on his own. The Bible says that the woman was deceived. Adam was not deceived. Satan did not deceive Adam. Adam just decided that, look, let's go on our own. Since the woman had eaten, maybe he was so much in love. Somebody believed that what he was doing was I didn't want to leave the woman alone in the dead state. So he said, look, if you have eaten, you're dead. But you're my wife and I love you. You can't make it on your own. Let me follow you. Somebody said that's what he did. I don't know. By the way, don't ever do that. <laughs> Not about your wife, but don't ever go against God for anybody. That's what I'm going to say. Don't ever disobey God because you want to make somebody happy. I used to tell my wife, when we first married, I said, listen. Okay? I know they do democracy. Yeah. I said, listen. If God says A and you don't understand it, I will follow A. If you say B is the right thing, I can't force you to follow A. But I will never follow you to do B. I said, do you know my reason? 
I say both of us do. If you do, if I do A and you do B, God will say, okay, thank you did right. Let's forgive your wife. Let's pray. I said, but if you did, if I do B because you said B, the double jeopardy is what I will suffer. Number one, doing B is a sin. Have you? And then number two, that God will now say that you neglected order. You forsook my instruction and chose the instruction of your wife. I said, can't you see? I now put yourself under judgment. Let me just do the aid. I'm sure it's the will of God. So that we will reduce the suffering and the punishment inside the house. And then you, there will be hope for intercession. Please, I just want to add that one to it. So why Adam did what he did, I don't know. If what that person is saying is actually what Adam did, then don't do it. It's not right. Never take sides against the Lord. Never, ever. I don't care how much you love the person. What God says is final. But Adam fell. What is the fall of Adam? The fall of Adam simply means I will go my own way. I hope you are getting my point. The fall of Adam is what? I will go my own way. That's all it means. It's not the moral failure. As if, how can you go and do that? Is that good? No. It is that you said, I will be my own God. I will make my own laws. I will decide where I go. I will decide what I do. Nobody will tell me what to do. That is the sin of Adam. And he did that deliberately. I hope you're getting my point. Listen, people of God, no matter what you do, don't go against that which God has made clear to you. One of the things I fear most in life, I've said, I've said it here many times, is that one day the Lord will look at me and say, but I told you. I don't want to hear that. What is the sin of Adam? The Lord looked at him and said, but I told you. you he did, he, the Bible says Adam was not deceived. Did you hear what I said? Adam was not deceived. Let me tell you something about Adam. He was supposed to be condemned permanently. What is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? That God gave him another chance. And that's what I'm talking about. Let me summarize it with this. We've spoken at length to get to this particular point. But I want to tell everybody, what is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? No matter the sin that we have done in this life, we have another chance. Did you hear what I said? What is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? That no matter how we have disobeyed God in the past, no matter who our Adam is, because sometimes, you must understand, there is genetic Adamness. <laughs> yes. There are ancestral curses. You came from homes. God didn't drop you out of the sky. The sin of Adam affects you. The issues of your parents affect you. If you are the one that also deliberately disobeyed, you have been affected. You want to know what the grace of Jesus Christ is, is that there is a new chance. That's the point. That's the point. He said, if anyone is in Christ, what did he say? You know, it's a new creation, but actually what he said in Greek, hmm? literally, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation. So some have interpreted it like this. If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. There is a new beginning. If anyone comes to Christ, a new creation happens. I hope you're getting my point. It's not just, yes, you are new, but the idea is that God give, puts a new start into everything. I don't know what Christianity is. Christianity is that we have been turned around and focused on the original plan of God for our individual life. That is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. In this series, as we go on, I just want to educate believers again. That's what I did. I, see, you know why I do a lot of talking? I want people to be informed. I want Christians to understand. That's why I do all this talk. Let nobody come and... Sorry, that's why you hear me talk the way I do. Nobody can come and bamboozle me. You study science, so now you will never see before. When you start talking, I will answer you. You've heard me talk. You know I can answer a scientist. I don't have to know everything you know. I know enough to know you're talking nonsense. You come with, you know, people go and do Eastern religion. Once they are talking, I'm looking at you. 
I said, okay, after all these things you have meditated and practiced, can you approach the Father? No. No one comes unto the Father except by him. That's how I operate. So I always like Christians to have understanding. Let nobody bamboozle you. That's why I did all the talking I did this today. So I said, your Bible is myth. It's not myth. Many things in there are executive summaries we know. But if we expand them, we've seen them in laboratories. The reason why they are just shot in the scriptures, God doesn't want to bore you. Must he teach you architecture at the same time I teach you advanced biology and advances in this in one book? If he did that, the Bible, the page will be, the cover page will be on that side. And the last page will be maybe somewhere in Oka. To the making of books, there will be no end. So he has summarized truth for you. Truth has been summarized. So I'm doing all this talking for you to know the, the, the word of God is true. I hope you're getting my point. As we go on, I will explain. Why did Jesus have to come? We will explain it. According to what the Father has revealed. I hope you're getting my point. Listen, sin is real. Sin is disobedience to God. Sin is independence from God. Sin generates a real toxic spiritual atmosphere. Which leads people to darkness. Which kills all the stars in your life. That you float in eternal darkness. What do you call lake of fire? I've told you. My understanding of it is not flames. If you toss somebody into eternal darkness, where he does not know whether he's going up or going down, floating to the left or to the right, or who is the fellow next to him, listen, if I remove all the senses in your body, you will go mad. You may as well be in hell. Just by the way, that's why babies are born, they are meant to be carried. Babies are not carried for sick and die. That touch is part of life. What am I trying to explain here? Sin is real. It cuts us away from God until we have no spiritual touch ever. That is what they call torment. That is what they call torment. But what is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? In summary, it will never happen to you. Amen. You may have disobeyed in the past. You may have inherited disobedience. But because of Christ Jesus, you have been united with the Father of all lights. Because of Christ Jesus, all your sins have been forgiven. Amen. Because of Christ Jesus, I'll end with this simple statement. All ancestral curses have been broken. Amen. Let's bow down ahead and give him thanks for that. Say, Lord, thank you. Let's just say, Lord, thank you.